From the EPR Creation Studio, yes, we're back. It's the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples, your host. As always, although it hasn't been it hasn't been for a while, this show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you have any need for an improved internet presence or want to improve your marketing, which is probably more important now than ever, call EPR Creations. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Well, it's been a while, everybody. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, been, there's been quite a bit going on in the world over the last couple of months and uh, quite a bit in my life. Uh, on the last podcast, I believe I, uh, I mentioned that I had had a, a, a book accepted with uh, Cambridge University Press. And quite frankly, the last couple of months, I've spent almost nothing. No, I've spent pretty much all of the marginal time that, I've, that I normally would put into this podcast and other things. I've, I've spent on getting that manuscript ready for publication. And, uh, you know, what with the various editing that needed to be done and, and indexing and some other things, uh, still not fully where that needs to be. I'm, I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm a little overdue on that, but, uh, at a point where I can actually do some of the other things that I I need to do, including this podcast. So that, that's been a big factor. And then of course, COVID-19, which since my day job is teaching at a university that also has some significant alterations and other things that I've had to deal with, with that. And then honestly, there's not been a whole lot to report on. Uh, it's one of those things where had spring practice been going on and had there been a lot to uh, to talk about, well, I would have I would have found a way to to get some podcast episodes out, but there's just not been a whole lot. There was one week of spring practice, which actually I'm going to go back to uh, some of those videos and things and break some of that down here uh, soon on Patreon, where I've got a ton of videos that are overdue on that. So going to get to that now that I can, now that I've got a little bit of space as well, but there hasn't, there just hasn't been a whole lot to, to report on. You combine that with some of the other factors and I've just been, uh, I've, I've not had much chance to get this stuff out. Uh, I'm also going to get some of the offensive and defensive material, uh, some of those videos done as well here soon. I've got a lot of stuff underway that just haven't, haven't been able to get to. Uh, one thing I did have to report on actually uh, has to do with Stanford Samuels, who many of you will recall that I had uh, been told by his uh, by his camp about basically where where he where he would where he was projected by uh, some of the uh, some of the NFL uh, reports that he he got and why he decided to turn pro. Uh, also was was told by that by that camp that he was expecting to run in the four four eight range. And he did not run anywhere close to that at the combine. Uh, it wasn't until a, f- a few weeks ago, by the way, uh, that I got actually more information on that, where I found out that uh, that he was. So I, I thought maybe maybe putting all the weight on before the combine was a factor and all of that. There's actually more information on that than uh, than I realized. That when he was at the combine, he actually had a. Uh, you have these massive physicals at the combine and in the physical flagged what might be in a regular heartbeat. So they had him do a stress test the day before they ran the 40, which was 45 minutes on the resistance bike. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever done resistance bike stuff, you know, like assault bike type stuff. 
45 minutes on a resistance bike where they take you into high, high, high effort stuff. I mean, it's max intensity stuff to basically, while you're wired up to, uh, to EKGs and all that, to see how your heart responds. They wanted to, to clear him for that, for, through all that. So he did that, and then he still ran the next day, which that's no surprise then that he ran uh, more slowly. It wasn't until uh, the beginning of April, actually, that he ran again. And unfortunately, this, is, this was one of those pro days that they had to do on video. Uh, he ran again for uh, and had uh, actually a former 15-year NFL scout do the uh, run the run the workout, including uh, retesting the forty. And in that workout, he ran between a four 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 seven and four five four. Uh, I've actually got the raw video of that, and uh, and that was sent to teams and everything. But again, that's one of those things where uh, after what had happened at the combine and some other things that broke broke out some some uh, concerns about his speed, and he's not a guy that is super physical and projects well at safety, so. Undrafted from Stanford Samuels, which does allow him to choose his team. Uh, there's some optimism uh, in NFL circles that he could end up being growing into a starter. So uh, somebody could be getting a good deal on that. But a uh, little bit of information that uh, that I do have that uh, that I don't know. I mean, I haven't been able to pay much attention to any any other outlets, but I don't know. I haven't seen anything on that from anybody else. So uh, worth worth putting that out there. Uh, one other update before we get uh, get into I'm I'm just basically fielding some questions that that came in in the uh, basically two months since the last episode. I'm gonna field some some of those questions and address some things. This might break into two episodes. It's totally possible because I've got a pretty big backlog in the mailbag. But um, before before I move on, I also want to announce that during this uh, layover or this layoff, I. Uh, I had a designer, one of one of the better designers out there. Uh, he's tremendous. Do a series of uh, a limited run of stickers uh, with the climb and rise themes from uh, that are Florida State based that are being sold on the Unconquered Podcast website. Those of you who are supporters on Patreon, you already got a note on this and and uh, have have uh, have a, an opportunity to to get those through other sources. But, uh, but everybody, you guys, you guys got to check these out. Uh, the, 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 the one, there's a few of them that are really good. One has Osceol and Renegade. It is sharp Osceol and Renegade with the, with the word rise there. Uh, and then there's some that are, uh, that are actually based on the infamous Mike Norvell cornrows photo. Some, uh, some pretty funny stuff there as well. So, uh, so inexpensive, but also an opportunity to support the podcast and uh, and get some stickers uh, that you can put up on on pretty much anything high quality high quality stuff. I'm pretty excited about it. And we're going to get more if these if these sell. We're going to definitely do more of this uh, and do some more merch uh, based on these kinds of designs. Like I said, pretty excited to uh, to have this moving and and to be working with an outstanding designer like uh, like Robbie Smith, who uh, again as as good as it gets in this in this business. So. Anyhow, that's the uh, that the update for where things have been the last couple months. I know, and I really want to thank everybody for your uh, for your patience as the world has kind of been upside down the last couple months. So let's go ahead and get to the remainder of the episode. Before I do that, I do want to thank Louis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville. Right now, if you're gonna if you're looking for real estate, you're probably looking online rather than uh, doing this through social distancing. 
And if you're trying to sell your place, that means you better have the best online listing possible. Nobody does it better than Lewis. He has he uses his training as a uh, videographer and, and photographer to make your house look the best it possibly could. Uh, outstanding on the marketing side, does a tremendous job. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. Get your house, sell your house in the greater Jacksonville area. That information is in the show notes. Louis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, so uh, I've got... I've categorized these questions in various ways. The first category is questions about the past. So I got some questions about some things from the Taggart era, which I'm not really going to spend a whole lot of time on just because, well, that era is over. Not a whole lot of reason to uh, continue to uh, chew on sour grapes, but uh, I'll go ahead and do what I can on these. Uh, the first is, why did Willie think his teams could beat Clemson the last two years? Why was he so confident in winning those games? What was he thinking? Well, see, this is the thing, is <laughs> Taggart really did not have a good a good handle on the team that he had from the time that he arrived on campus. He He looked around and he saw guys like Marvin Wilson, he saw guys like Cam Akers. He saw guys like Josh Kando when Kando was actually on the field. Jaden Lars Woodby, Hamza Nasiruddin, a series of these guys. You look at those guys, you go to those practices and you go, yeah, this team can compete with anybody. But the problem is, it's not just about the physical aspect of things. And, you know, he, he and his, his staff were, were really of the belief that we've, we've got, we're just right around the corner. We're, we're just moments from turning the corner. It's about getting the confidence necessary to do what we're asking you to do. And that's going to be it. If we can just get you to play with confidence and to, to trust the system and to go and to play fast, we've got the physical ability to, to play with anybody. Well, that's the thing, though, is that it takes more than just the physical capacity. And it also, you, you know, you also had some problems on the offensive line. But they, uh, it, they just didn't, I don't, think had a, I don't think they had a good handle on the execution of, of things. And, and in terms of the discipline that's necessary to get players of that caliber to compete at the caliber that that a Clemson has the last few years. The thing about a Clemson, the other thing the, there's one other thing on this that I think is a, an important part. And this is something that was that was mentioned to me by one of my uh, one of my sources on the staff after that game was they they watched Clemson very nearly get beat up in up in Chapel Hill. And there were some weaknesses that were exposed by North Carolina. Clemson showed some significant weaknesses and, and, and some things that could be taken advantage of. And they schemed and, and went after some of those tendencies that Clemson put out there. But here's the problem. And this is what I was told after that game is Clemson came out and every time Florida State expected them to zig, they zagged. They broke tendency on pretty much everything, the first three drives, which if I recall correctly, it was 21 to nothing after the first three drives. But basically I was told they didn't do anything. They, they, they did a bunch of stuff that they hadn't shown all year on those first drives. And Florida state was just completely unprepared for the 
second level for the extra layer that Clemson had in place. And this actually reminds me a little bit of what Jimbo Fisher used to do. Still does it at Texas A&M, but he can't do it as easily because they don't have the talent advantage just yet. But when he was at Florida State, and we talked about this actually back then on this podcast, when he was at Florida State, he, he very much took the Milton Berle approach when it comes to playing against lesser teams, which is you only pull out enough to win. Yeah, you, you can make sure that you, you're never going to lose a game to a, to a lesser team by, make, by preparing for every team with the same level of tendency breakers and, and bringing out all your best stuff. And you make sure you're never going to lose to an NC State because, well, you're going you're gonna to make sure that, that whatever, whatever's happening, you've got some stuff up your sleeve and you can pull out those trick plays. Or you can play for a championship. You can, you can coach for a championship and for your rivals. And basically what you're doing there is to make sure that you never lose to a rival, that you're, that you're prepared for the big games. You're coaching for the big games all the time. What that means is that you're going to come into these other games with your base stuff. And you're going to say, look, we need to be able to beat NC State. We need to be able to beat Wake Forest with our base stuff. If we can't beat NC State or Wake Forest with our base stuff, we're not good enough anyway. So that's the, that's the idea, though, is that you run your base stuff and you stay vanilla most of the year up until it's the big game teams, up until it's the rivalry games, up until it's the teams that you need to make sure that you double tap. And then you, then you break tendency like crazy. That's when, you know, that first drive, second drive against, against your rival, all of a sudden you're showing stuff that you've been working on all year, all the way since spring. You're showing stuff that you've been working on, that you've been holding, that you just haven't done. You, and, and you're showing, oh, well, all year we've been 70% this or this out of this formation, but all of a sudden we're going to do that which is just a slight wrinkle off of that. So we've been running a post, we've been running a smash concept out of this twins formation in this, in this situation all year. But we've been doing that specifically to set up the little uh, shake route, this, you know, go, go corner post off of that against this team that we know. So when we play Clemson, we know that they're going to jump that because they're really tendency-based. We know they're going to jump that that corner route in this situation. But the next time we do it, when we do it against them, it's not going to be a corner route. It's going to be a shake route. It's going to go head to the head to the corner, go to the post. All of a sudden, that safety's turned around and a guy's walking into the end zone from 40, 50, 60 yards out just because we zigged when, we, when they expected to zag. And Clemson did that to Florida State. And they did it each year. And Florida State was completely unprepared for what Clemson did schematically. And they were, you know, they wouldn't have won the game anyway. But they were unprepared for the onslaught that Clemson had. Dabo has a special sort of place in his in his year years uh, pl- uh, plan for what what they're doing against Florida State. He knows that that Clemson should be able to go on autopilot pretty much against the rest of their schedule. But against Florida State, against whatever major out-of-conference team they're going to play, and then for the playoff games, they run very different stuff. And it's, I mean, it doesn't look that different, but it's the little wrinkles. It's this has changed to do that instead of this. Or we're going to run this formation, which we didn't show all year. It's that stuff. And so Florida State was ready to play against the Clemson that, that almost lost to North Carolina. 
but they were not anywhere prepared for big game Clemson. <laughs> and, well, that's the difference between being a coach at a team where you're where you're you're everybody's big game and being a coach at a place where, you know, you're a group of five team that is among the other group of five teams. That that's the difference. And I think Mike Norvell is much closer to the uh, Milton Burrell approach on this than than other coaches in terms of how he, he keeps some stuff in there uh, as well, from what I've seen. Uh, we'll, we'll see how how he adjusts to having that kind of talent. And again, coaching for championships is different from coaching for the win each week. And that's something that that Dabo figured out and and Clemson is now doing. Jimbo did when he was at Florida State. Saban does certainly at Alabama. Uh, It's one of those things that you have to learn. And then there's also once you've done that, there's also the adjustment to where you have to combine that with being able to be everybody's big game. And, you know, that's that's hard to do. So that'll be that'll be interesting. All right. So went a little longer on that than I thought I would. But it's been a while. So why not? Next question. Was there tension between Odell Hagens and David Kelly? Well, um, I think I'm just going to let Dwayne The Rock Johnson handle this one. No comment. But yes. I think that that about covers that. And uh, we'll just observe what the, essentially the first thing that... Odo Higgins did when he took over the interim coaching job, what that was. And I'll just, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it at that. Final question on this front. Did Odell and Ron Dugans go and tell the administration and David Coburn how things were behind the scenes with Willie? Oh man. Um, I think the, the best way to, to answer this is that, it's always important that athletic directors and the rest of high-level administration who are responsible for the running of the organization are aware of how, how things are, are actually working on their watch. And it's important that those who are responsible for individual management, you know, middle-level managers say, that if said administrators want to know what's happening, that those people are honest. And, And this is just something that, you know, again, in any organization, if you're running that organization and you're an executive, you need to periodically just call people in and say, look, what what's what exactly is happening on the day to day here? I'm a little bit detached from that. Can you take me through this sort of thing? That's the sort of thing that you would want to do. And you'd want to make sure that your employees had the freedom to be honest about exactly how things uh, are working and that you took that into account in making sure that you know exactly how things are, are going on the day to day. I think I think that's that's just an important principle in terms of how to run your business. So we'll just go ahead and move on from those questions about the past. And we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and thank the second sponsor of the podcast, and that, or the third sponsor, that is, and that is Garage Makeovers. Garage Makeovers is a top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home, Home Advisor and Angie's List. Licensed and insured, and they've been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. Look, if you're spending a lot of time in your house, and you may be spending a little bit more time there, why not get a garage that you can actually use that can be useful 
in this time where you're stuck at home. Give Garage Makeovers a call. They'll come out. They'll make sure they don't spread any plague. They'll make sure they can put up the best overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, slot wall, accessories for anything you have. Look, if you need them to set up a garage gym for you, let them know. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Information's in the show notes. All right. So I got a series of questions about COVID-19 and the upcoming season. So with the caveat that I am neither a healthcare professional, uh, though my wife is in medical school, and uh, I am not a uh, public health specialist, though my neighbor across the street from me is a professor in public health, and I have uh, been chatting with him. Uh, and I am not an executive with any of the uh, decision-making folks on the uh, football side. So with those caveats, I'll go ahead and, uh, and put my 50 cents in here on uh, what the, what's going on. So first question, would you say there's a 50-50 chance that the college football season starts on time? Uh, I would say that the chance that college football starts on time is significantly less than 50%. I, I, I think it's unlikely that the college football season starts on time at this point. But we could see that change. I just, from everything that I, I've, I understand, uh, it's going to be a good bit longer, and we're going to have to probably wait until we have either uh, adequate herd immunity, which is, at this point, not going to be for a while, or a vaccine that, that appears to be working, in order to get enough people together to have these kinds of uh, these kinds of games in person, uh, and the the big issue is the is that you may have certain things that are allowed, but it's the size of groups, and it's you know these become uh, these become vectors for a ton of people to get together, and if one person there is is infected and spreads it, all of a sudden you have ten fifteen thousand people that are contacted as a result of, of what's going on in the crowd. So that's, that's the real issue is the, uh, is, is the, the size of the crowds. And even, even without fans in the stands for a football game to be played, you're looking at hundreds of people that are involved in the, in putting on the, uh, the show. And that itself is again, a bit of an issue. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime near on time. I, I think it's less than, it's far less than a 50, 50 chance uh, I don't know that I'd put a number on it, but I certainly wouldn't put it 50-50. Uh, next question is related. Do you agree that if students are on college campuses, college football will be played? I do not agree with that either. Uh, and again, I think the reason is you can have classes at 20-person, 20, 20 you know, that are 20-person classes, or you, you can do certain limited things that don't involve 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people in the stands together or, you know, hundreds of people all together. Uh, it's possible that when we see college campuses open up that we don't see large lecture halls filled and that we, we see things limited to smaller, uh, smaller environments. We just don't know what that situation is going to be yet. Uh, I know that, that at the university that I teach at, we, we haven't made our decisions in terms of what's going to happen for the fall to begin with. Uh, right now, we're planning on in-person as usual, but with a lot of contingencies built in. And given the, the amount of contingencies that are having to be built in on that side already, just for the instructional side, for the, for the standard uh, part of the, of the 
running of, of a university that, that gets magnified that much more when you're talking about sports. Uh, then there's the third question. And I think this is a, a really important one. Do you think college football has a chance to be canceled this season? I think that's really unlikely. I don't think it's going to be canceled. It, it doesn't have a chance to be canceled. Yes. Because again, all of the factors that we've mentioned and you, you can't really do this stuff with, without fans in the stands, which is another question is, you know, could you, could you do this? Do, do you see it happening where, you know, you see people playing, playing football with no fans in the stands. I don't think you see that with college football because again, you've got the issue of, okay, so it's not safe for everybody else to be here, but it's safe for these players to do it, to make sure that the, that the money keeps flowing hmm. and they're not employees. That's a bad look. So that's that. I don't think an option for college football, even though it's an option for pros. Uh, you know, that, I think that that may happen for some pro leagues at some point. I don't think that's an option for college football. I, I don't think, though, that we're likely to see the season get canceled. I think we're much more likely to see the season get shortened. As a, you know, as a, as a last resort, it would get shortened. And I think it's I think we're going to see a significantly postponed season. I would be I would not be surprised to see the season basically played concurrently in the in the spring. That if I if I were a betting person right now, I would I would say the season the college football season's unlikely to start on uh, on time, and that we're most likely going to see the season the the college football season played in the spring. Now that complicates a ton of things. I mean, you've got players that graduate early. You've got early enrollees. You've got a lot of things that all of a sudden that complicates. But the fact is that you that these universities have to have it in order to run their budgets. And if it gets to the place where things are under control enough to be able to play it at all in the spring, even if you're looking at an eight game season, you know, play your conference season. And then we, you know, designate some teams to do some sort of, uh, of uh, playoff or something at the end of it. They're, they're going to need to do that just because of the money involved, but they'll find a way I think to, to get that done. It just may take some time longer than anybody expects. I, but again, if this if if there's a second wave that's that's strong in the fall, it's possible that we could be looking at further delays into the spring, and then it could get canceled, and that would be disastrous for a lot of uh, athletic departments. But I, I, again, I think they're going to try to pull out the stops to find any way to to make this make this work. I just think it's going to be most likely delayed. Now, the next question was actually on the delay. Uh, do you think the latest, what, what do you think the latest date college football can make a decision if the season starts on time? And I would say that decision would have to be made by the beginning of, of July. So basically you've got to start your camp in order to start on time. And, uh, Brian Kelly, the, from Notre Dame did say that basically you have to have players on campus by July one to start the season on time. I think he's actually stretching it. I think you could probably extend that into, you know, mid to late July. But basically, you've got to have players in enough shape, in good enough shape to be able to handle camp and to be able to handle the grind of the season. So, I mean, I think you could go mid to late July and those players arriving and then doing a modified camp to start the season. It would be really sloppy football. There would be some guys that would be. Uh, just not. You're not going to see this the same level of quality as a result of not basically working your job all year uh, to do that. But 
I think you could you could do sometime in mid to late July and still make it work. Uh, just again, everybody would be at a disadvantage there in terms of uh, of all that. So then, uh, you know, what do you think about delaying the season by eight weeks? I just think there's going to be a delay. I think there there will be a delay. I don't know what the delay is going to be. We'll see. Um, final question on this front was, if the virus clears up, do you think the NCAA will allow some June practices before the season starts? And no, I do not think so. We're going to see all of the summer stuff pretty much get canceled already. and or We've already seen that. And we're going to see the remainder pretty much get canceled there. Uh, that's just, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, so that's, that's a problem. So then the next series of questions has to do with how this affects and impacts Florida state. And so let's go ahead and get to that. So how much does this hurt Mike Norvell not having a chance to have had 12 more spring practices and, and all of that, how much does the virus impact Norvell's ability to do what he needs to do? I think it's a massive disadvantage. Uh, and, and all you have to do is, if, if you wanted to, to go back, there's, a, there's actually a Zoom interview with uh, North Carolina defensive coordinator Jay Bateman from mid-April. Uh, so something, somewhere around like April 14th. You can go find that on, on YouTube. It's, it's, worth, it's worth taking a look at and watching in double speed. But there's a point where he's asked about you know installing. He's got a pretty complex defensive system and installing what, what he's doing. You know, how, how much does this impact your preparation? He said, well, we can pretty much do what we're doing. You know, we've got a lot of ability to do this remotely. We're meeting with our players remotely. You know, all the stuff that you've probably heard from Mike Norvell so far. And then he said, now, look, if this was year one, this would be really this would be a totally different deal. He's like, this is a huge disadvantage to any coaches who are in year one. It would just be it would be a nightmare. It'd be almost impossible to do in year one. Well, Mike Norvell and his staff are in year one. And it is really, really hard to do this stuff in year. It's just a, any coach in year one. This is a massive, massive disadvantage. And I mean, for a lot of reasons, it's not just the, in, I mean, there, I'm, I'm going to, uh, let's walk through a few of these things. Number one, installing stuff. It's one thing to get something so that a guy can write it on the board or that he can, he can recite your terminology to you or understand how the, how, how the play call works and what the, what the checks and the adjustments are, are built in and all that. It's one thing to be able to do that. And it's hard enough to do that, to train guys to do that remotely anyway, but it's a big difference. There's a big difference between being able to do that and actually being able to make the route adjustment at speed. There's a big difference between knowing that, okay, on this vertical route, we're going to, we're going to favor the back shoulder. We're going to favor the back shoulder throw because that's just how we do it. Well, that's good. You know that, you know what the read's going to be, but you haven't repped that throw a thousand times. And so now you make the you make the correct decision, you make the correct throw, and you throw it out of bounds, or the receiver isn't used to making that catch in that body position over and over again. And that's something that showed up in the first week of practices, by the way. That first week of practices, if you watch those guys throw in their verticals, and they were working on back shoulders a bunch, and if you, uh, if you haven't seen my Patreon breakdown of how Mike Norvell coaches... Uh, the uh, the four verts you need to you need to go ahead and watch that and see why they spend so much time repping back shoulder throws in practice they're going to back shoulder you to death 
That's one of the one of the one of the things that any defensive coordinator who's played against Mike Norvell, who's coached against Mike Norvell, knows that they're going to throw a bunch of back shoulders. Well, that means they're repping it. They're they're spending ten minutes basically every practice just throwing back shoulder fades, one you know one after the other, vertical to the back shoulder, vertical to the back shoulder, over, rep it over and over and over again so that it becomes something that the quarterbacks can do and the receivers can do automatically. Well, now you've not only not repped those under the watchful eye of your coaching staff all spring, you know, you get a thousand reps there, but you haven't gotten the reps to do it, to repeat that over and over and over and over again, after having learned how to do it, you haven't gotten those reps in the summer. That's huge. Just in terms of a basic fundamental thing. That's a core part of your offense. You may not be able to do it. And it's not because you don't know what to do. It's because you just haven't repped it enough to, for, for you to be good at it. And that's a big freaking deal. So that's just one thing. And then, you know, from technique with the offensive line and all of these things, I mean, Alex Atkins can talk to his guys all he wants about what he wants them to do, but it's totally different when they're actually asked to do it. That, no, I want you to step this way with your back this way and repping all that stuff out. This was a team that's, that's fundamentally speaking, a bad football team. And I mean, the only reason that they that they even made a bowl game last year is because they had top 10 talent. But in terms of fundamentals, they were a disaster. They're a mess. And now you're going to fix those fundamentals without any practice, without any reps. And then you add to that, the third thing is you're dealing with with trying to change habits and how guys practice and how guys go about things and, and the intensity level that's necessary in practice. And this is all part of turning and changing a program. And all of a sudden, you got like a three-day start on that, and guys are starting to figure it out and starting to get that. And now all of a sudden, they're back and sliding into old habits and, and, doing, and living however they, they live. And, you know, that's a big issue. And then you combine that with some guys are going to be more at a disadvantage than others. And this is just a, a, some teams have more resources to help their guys with. But then other guys, in, just in, in terms of, so it's a, there's an imbalance in terms of teams, you know, your Alabamas and, and so on that have the resources to send players whatever they want to send them to uh, as a loan over the course of the offseason to make sure that they're staying in shape. That That's an additional advantage in terms of, of, of budget. But then you also have on the individual level, you've got some players come from, a lot more money and resources than other players. And it's a lot easier for those players to stay in shape, to make sure they're eating well, to make sure that they're, that they're doing all of these things and getting better over this, over this uh, off season versus you get some kid who's from the hood who has no access to workout facilities and everything else. And is just living at home and basically has nothing to do with pushups and hopefully a place to do pull-ups from somewhere. And, you know, maybe a place to go out and run some sprints. That's it. That, that's that's really hard. I mean, you think about like in my situation, I have a garage gym. I, I, I can go out there and, and do squats with as much as I as I've got more weight than I than I can actually do uh, that I can put on the bar and, and do squats or deadlifts with. And I've got, you know, all sorts of other gear, sleds and uh, and, you know, boxing bags and uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, you know, I can I can do a full training session with just about anything in my garage. So if you're in my situation, it doesn't really impact you. You can you can basically get the program from your from your team and do what you're asked to do. It may not be at the intensity level, it may not be with the level of order that 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 Josh Storms is going to impose, but you can at least get stronger, you can get faster, you can continue to do some of that stuff if you've got those resources. If you don't have those resources, 
if you know if you don't have the, I, I had the luxury of of knowing when Florida State was going to surplus their old dumbbells from the from the Moore Center. So I bought a, I bought you know like a thousand pounds of dumbbells for like seventy dollars. Gotta love those old auctions, but that you know that's where I get I got a lot of my stuff. If you don't have access to that sort of thing, you you, you just don't you're at a here you're at a huge disadvantage. So you combine all of those things and you then put a first year coach in charge of of a team with that level of imbalance and with. All these other things where the fundamentals need to be fixed, the work habits need to change, the, the new systems need to be installed. It's just, it's much, much harder than, it's it's hard to quantify how difficult that is for, for coaches and what a disaster it is for first-year coaches. Now, Norvell and his staff are as well-equipped for this as anybody out there in terms of how organized they are and how they do things. I mean, I know for a fact that when they were at Memphis, they actually, he actually had his coaching staff record installation videos for his teams to, his team to be able to watch at any point during the off season. So basically you could go back through and you could refresh by being in the meeting room in a virtual meeting room with your coach. And going back through and making sure that everything, so it's like going through a lecture again. And here's the installation. Here's how we do it. Here's what you need to know. Here's, here's the reminders. And you can watch this 50 times. That's hugely helpful. And they did that before any of this stuff was necessary. So, you know, who, who knows what they're doing right now? I mean, in terms of making sure that all that stuff is, is recorded and available, I'm sure that they've got the entire playbook, uh, accessible in terms of installations and instructionals so that the players can log on and and watch that. But again, if you're a player that is from a place that doesn't have have reliable internet, that 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 doesn't help you much. But most of the players do. Most of the players have reliable internet, but you've got you're relying on your players to make sure they go back and do that. And again, it's still only in the head, it's not in the body, it's not muscle memory. And that's the real issue. But they're they're going to do as well as anybody could with this. And, you know, it's just, but I, I think it impacts the, the bottom line, the expectation that you could have for this season from Mike Norvell by a win or so, because it just, it, it's that much of a difference in terms of how much you can get fixed in terms of fundamentals and getting guys accustomed to running your system. It's just really, really hard. It, I, I think it's a, at least a one win difference. So you kind of adjust down from there, depending on when the season starts and all sorts of other things. I mean, we don't really know how any of it's going to go. But it's it's a big deal. So yeah, that's that's a problem. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. This is I'm I'm almost 40 minutes in. I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. This will be the first uh, first episode of two. Next episode, I'm going to talk about some. I, I got a bunch of questions about players and about uh, about position changes and all sorts of other things. I'm going to go ahead and do that. If you have any other questions, if you got uh, specific suggestions or things that you want me to talk about. Send them in and uh, send them in through Patreon. I'm gonna I'm gonna be posting some uh, some videos up there uh, over the next week, uh, next few days uh, as well. Hopefully, making up for lost time and uh, and getting to some of that. So, if you've got any suggestions or things that you specifically would like me to cover on the podcast or on Patreon on with those uh, with those videos, let me know. And uh, back in back in the saddle. Good to be back. Once again, before I go, I want to thank my three sponsors, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, EPR Creations and Garage Makeovers. 
Also want to thank those supporters over at Patreon above the Bleach Numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, Bert Bertoldi, and Jimmy Van. Thank you guys for all your patience as I've been uh, delinquent in the last couple months. Going to get a bunch out to uh, make sure that we can make up for lost time here. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.